professional wrestling. Well, the WWE specifically. It's as big today as it was 30 years ago. Now, how's that possible? Well, I've got two of the WWE's biggest superstars and one of their insiders to help me figure it out. This is why I'm not a professional wrestler. Why? Why? I'm not. Why? I'm not. Why? I'm not. Why? I'm not. Welcome to Why I'm Not with Brant Pinvidic, the podcast that explores the latest trends, fads, beliefs, and addictions from all sides and tries to remind you before you judge it, try to understand it. After that, you're on your own. This week, Why I'm Not a Professional Wrestler. And now, from AfterBuzz Studios, here's your host, Brant Pinvidic. Um, this episode actually could be called Why I'm Not a WWE Superstar, because in 2017, in today's world of big-budget action movies, first-person, basically virtual video games, where every teenager growing up has a console at home, and the endless entertainment options online with YouTube and social media, the idea of a bunch of muscle men running around in tights, play fighting, has, in theory, no place in the entertainment spectrum. And that's just a theory, but it's a completely wrong theory because the WWE is a massive monster juggernaut of success. It is still, today, one of the most watched cable TV shows and has been for almost 30 years. Let me put this in perspective. In 1988, WrestleMania III, the largest sporting event in history, 94,000 live fans at the height of its popularity. WrestleMania 32, last year, 2016, almost 30 years later, 110,000 live fans, making it the number one WrestleMania and the number two sporting event in history. Millions around the world watch wrestling every week. Now, how on earth is that possible? That's what we're going to answer today. There is no way that the WWE should be this popular for 30 years, doing nearly the same show. So today I've brought in three guests that are going to help me crack the code on how the WWE works and why it's so popular through the decades. Former WWE announcer and AfterBudge legend Lillian Garcia will be here. She does a wrestling show, making their way to the ring, and so she connects with the fans directly and can really give me a perspective on what makes them tick. Um, and the great, oh, I am excited for him, Sean X-Pac Waltman. I knew him as the one, two, three kid. That's when I was a huge fan of him. God, I love that guy. I actually got some time to go spend and ask him a bunch of questions, and he actually kind of bashed some sense into me. And my special guest, arguably one of the great wrestlers of all time, the one and only Mick Foley, or as you may know him as Mankind, will be on the line with us today. I'm very excited to crack the code. This is the Why I'm Not podcast. I'm Bram Pinvidic, and this is why I'm not a professional wrestler. Okay, welcome to the Why I'm Not podcast, show where we explore the latest trends, fads, addictions, and general things that people get all hyped up about, and I try to dive in and understand why on earth do people get so excited. Um, like my motto says, I, before I judge, I try to understand it, or I try anyways, and then I judge just like everybody else. But I will be objective. Uh, I learned that making my last two movies, why I'm not on Pokemon Go and why I'm not on Facebook, that a lot of times if I don't understand something, it probably means I may be the dumbass and, of course, not the righteous one. And always, when I talk about righteous one, I'm talking about my co-host, After Buzz legend, 
podcast star, red carpet diva, and all-around super opinion lady, Roxy Stryer. How are you today? Uh, righteous, apparently. Apparently, yeah. always right on. <laughs> are you excited to talk about wrestling today? I really am. Yes. I really am, which is surprising, because if you had asked me a year ago, I would have said, I really am not. Yeah. <laughs> it's just kind of crazy how popular it really is. Yeah, I completely agree. You know, until I dived a little deeper into the universe, I didn't realize how many fans there were yeah. and how many people would actually subscribe to this model that and, they and have. It, and it spans generations, families, females, men, women, teenagers. It's amazing. Um, I'm, I'm pretty excited. Also in the studio today... Uh, my producer extraordinary, Mr. Fancy Pants, Christian Blatt, how are you today? I'm doing well. My pants are exceptionally fancy today. Now, you look like you could almost be a professional wrestler. Uh, you know, I would, ha- I would have to be a character-heavy wrestler. Character you know, Because like, when I was a kid, I watched wrestling very passively. My brother was a big fan. But I, I knew you know, Hulk Hogan, Hillbilly Jim. I'd like to be that kind of wrestler. One with a really good gimmick. Right. You know, there's a guy in the turkey suit called the Gobbledygooker. That's who I want to be. So I'm all about the gimmick. Uh, but as you were talking about Sean X-Pac Waltman, I've gotten to know him over the past few months, and he's great. And I get much more excited about wrestling conversations because he has amazing stories, as no doubt you found out when you hung out with him. It's a, listen, it, as everybody knows, it's a pretty physical business, um, which is you know shocking that they put themselves through that on, on, at the level they do. Now, Roxy, on on the sort of like any given week, are you going to be tuning into the USA Network and checking out some? wrestling TV show? Uh, Like Christian, I have also been hanging out with Sean a bit, so only when I'm with him and only when he has something that he's like, this is awesome, you have to see it. And usually it is pretty awesome, but no, I am not the typical fan, I wouldn't say. Yeah. Brant, what about you? Are you watching wrestling every week? I'm not. Um, But I can tell you a story of how we got here today. Yes, please do. Um, So it's kind of interesting. And a lot of people would not expect this as, as, as I talk to them, but I'm actually a deep, deep-seated closet wrestling fan. So I grew up in a small town in Canada, and when wrestling hit, I was like 10 years old. When uh, Andre the Giant and Hulk Hogan and all of this stuff happened, I was I was a youngster, and it was life-changing. It, it, it became my entire world. They used to have, like, Saturday Night Wrestling Slam or whatever it was on NBC, like, and we would stay up and watch it. It was the greatest time ever. And there was a specific moment, and I'll, and I'll show the clip here, when John Stossel asked, um, like the big John Stutter, one of these wrestlers, if wrestling was fake. And he slapped him across the face so hard twice. Hey, is that all you got? I'll ask you the standard question. You know? Standard question. I think this is fake. You think it's fake? What's that? Is that fake? Huh? What the hell's wrong with you? That's open hand slap, huh? You think it's fake? And from that moment on, I was completely convinced that wrestling was real. You saw John Stossel get the shit kicked out of him right in front of it. So the shock up to me, to my system as a teenager, as I started to grow and, and sort of those things started to fall away, and I understood it was a little more scripted than I thought. And when the WWE, or the WWF at the time, finally sort of came out and, and you know recategorized themselves as sports entertainment, and the idea of it being... Uh, you know, predetermined and these things started to come out, the thought in my brain at the time was this is the end of one of the greatest eras of my life. Wrestling will now go away. And that didn't happen at all. It grew. It stayed just as big. He, you know, they had competition from WCW. They ate that up and they just kept trucking along. And so when I moved to this country, 
I had said there's only three big celebrities in my entire world that I would die to meet. Wayne Gretzky, Hugh Hefner, and Vince McMahon. Because I consider Vince McMahon to be the most influential entrepreneur, one of the most influential entrepreneur, businessmen, marketers in the history of this country. Because when you look at what he's been able to do with that organization through the years, through the decades, through the changes, and we're going to talk a little bit about the changes that they went through, the idea that you could maintain such an unbelievable hold of a market has never been done. No product, no entertainment, nothing has done that. They say it's a soap opera. It's like, well, soap operas are gone. But he keeps going. So I am so entrenched in admiration for the WWE and what they represent and how they do it. And even though I'm not a fan of the entertainment of it on a sort of weekly basis, I've met Wayne Gretzky, I've met Hugh Hefner, I've worked for Vince McMahon, I've never met him. So... This is going to bring me one step closer, maybe. He's got to watch. Well, listen, I'm trying to get him on the phone here for this podcast right now, so we'll see. I don't know if it's going to happen. We have the same agent, so we're getting closer. And then my trilogy of people I want to meet and that I actually consider celebrities will be complete. Vince, if you're listening, call in. So that's how we find ourselves today. And so what I really want to do is... Listen, we can all talk about how wrestling appeals to us or, or doesn't appeal to us. That's all fine, but... The study of over 30 years, how they've been able to maintain such an, a massive hit audience is something that they should be teaching in colleges, they should be teaching in schools. This is, this is a study in sort of marketing genius that's hard to explain because, like I said in the opening, none of it makes sense. I mean, they, they don't do anything in the special effects world anymore. They haven't changed a lot of the structure of the show. And it, it really is sort of simple wrestling in the sense, with the same basic idea of the, of the ring and they, the, you know, the, the whack each other on the side of the head while they clap. You know, that kind of stuff is, hasn't changed, whereas things like combat sports like the UFC have come into major prominence. So you can see effectively a blood sport, yet not as popular as professional wrestling. How would you explain that, Roxy? Well, I do think there have been some changes, and I think that pulling back the curtain and saying, hey, this is fake, by the way, you guys are in on this, is something that fans really reacted to in a positive light. I know that you said that you wouldn't think it would have happened that way, and I wouldn't have thought that either, but I feel like people think that they're so invested in this art, and that it's more than just... And by the way, that sounded weird when you said it, that it's fake. I would never say that out loud. And And if you notice it, they don't say it. Nobody says it out loud because it's like... It's like saying a magic show isn't magic. Nobody really says that. Nobody goes to see David Copperfield and be like, yeah, but it's not magic. You go for the entertainment and you like that suspension of disbelief. And people are like, I'm still into it that way. Well, what's not fake is they're still kicking the crap out of each other. So how strong they are and how much work they have to do is completely real. In the same way that the magic that he's doing is still visually appealing to us, so it's real. I think different than a lot of your traditional sports, the ownership, the people, the family behind are all part of it. They're in the storylines. So you're a fan of the brand. You like individual wrestlers, but you tune in because you just need to keep up with it and see what's happening. Yeah, and, and listen, one of the things I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about a little bit later and, and I want to go through with Mick is the ability of Vince McMahon to adjust the storylines to fit the needs of the audience is unprecedented. You know, it went from hardcore, this is real, it's action, to it's scripted, nobody cares, to ultra, ultra, ultra violent. They went through an ultra violent period with the, with the cage matches and the ladder matches and Mick Foley's time. 
Then they went through a wild sex period, like a raunchy bra and panty spanking match period, which was, you know, years of this gratuitous sexuality and dominated then. Then they moved to this sort of like the bad guy, cool guy, don't give a crap era with Stone Cold and The Rock, where it was sort of anti-establishment and go F yourself. Then, when they struggled a little bit with the WCW coming in and trying to steal their thunder, they pulled somehow another rabbit out of the hat, and Vince McMahon got in the ring at 50 years old with 19-inch arms and put himself in the storyline. And they made the business of the WWE the storyline, who owned it, how much they owned, how much money they were making. They had SmackDown on Thursday and Monday Night Raw, and, and then they were competing, and then they had... Triple H on one team, and, and, and it was against her, and then it was against the daughter, and, and like they put themselves in there, in the storyline. So they really just reinvented what they need, and now today, the sexuality is basically taken out of it. The Divas thing is not the same way it used to be. It's not as ultraviolet whatsoever. It's much more family-friendly, and they've, again, maintained this unbelievable surge of popularity. They never really fell off whatsoever, other than a little bit of competition, in the 90s or whatever it was, that's it. They've maintained. So it's like I know that it's the same in theory with other big television shows or movies or entertainment. But the fact is is that like none of those things have hurt the WWE at all. Their ratings are as high as ever. Their popularity as high as ever. They're getting new people. They're getting old people. They're getting all people. It's crazy. Brilliant. Yeah, it's it brilliant. is brilliant. It's brilliant. So hopefully we can get a little insight. So uh, Lillian, I thought, would give us some good insight. You know, she worked for the WWE for many years. She was an announcer. So she was on the inside of everything that's going on. And then she hosts a podcast here at AfterBuzz, which is specifically on wrestling week to week. So I wanted to uh, have a, some time with her to, to sort of talk about what the fans are feeling and, and how she feels they respond. <laughs> I am so excited to sit with you. Me too. I know. It's Thank been like a so decade much. that we've known each other. I know. And the one thing that I know about you that is super constant is you are wrestling. You know yeah. it. You're inside it. You're yeah. outside it. You, you're, you, you, listen, you have a wildly popular podcast I about know. wrestling every single week. It's so exciting. Making their way to the ring. Yeah. Just saying. Just saying. And I'm sure there'll be a little graphic. <laughs> um, but what's really interesting is, is that you have sort of been a fan. You've been employed by them. You've been part of it, and now you speak to the fans directly. Yes. I can't figure out how wrestling has a place in the market because you can get action anywhere. You can get drama anywhere. You can get stuff at, the, at your fingertips, characters anywhere. But wrestling with the same kind of program has been able to just get bigger. Mm -hmm. Tell me why that is. It's probably very simple right now based on what exactly what you're saying yes you can get these things everywhere you can actually watch shows that are exploding this and exploding that but where can you as an audience actually be part of it and when i say that it's like when you're there especially you you get an you get an opportunity to be front and center part of this week after week wherever because the show travels it's not like yeah. it's just one place every week so you get to know you watch it on tv and then you you're like oh my god i actually get to sit in the audience next week and be part of this you bring your sign you start learning the there's a lot of uh, back and forth that you can learn too. for example back in the day when road dog 
was there and X-Pac and all that. And I think you, you yeah. spoke to X-Pac, right? They came out. I mean, it was like, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, you know, children of all ages. And the whole crowd would say it along with them. I remember. Them. Oh, and the Not rock even, and like right. everybody chanting. I, I exactly. remember Exactly. The well. millions and millions. Yeah. You know, it's like people are part of that. And now you've got the new generation, uh, Enzo and Cass. And, you know, you can't teach that. And people are, are saying it right with them. Finn Balor and his entrance, the music will hit and Finn will put his arms up and the whole crowd, you see the long, the big shot, the whole crowd is with their yeah. arms up. They're part of the show. So it's not like they're just sitting at home watching an action movie and that's all they get to do. They actually get to be a part of it. It's huge. And the spectacular. I, I know like, it's huge, but I think you're like, I think you're a little cart before the horse there because I think the reason why those things works and the catchphrase and the music and all that kind of stuff works is there's tens of thousands of people there all excited. So you can do sort of anything that brings them along. I just can't understand how they still... WrestleMania is 100,000 people oh, yeah. showing up. Did you see WrestleMania, I, though? Did you see... the? Spe the it's between the music, between I the know. pyro. Between, it's amazing. But here's the other thing. I don't think that that... Um, I, I don't... You weren't maybe so... Like, there's been times in my... God, I, I joined when I was in 1999. Yeah. So I've been, with, you know, following this for... And, and I followed it as a kid with my dad, you know, watching Andre the Giant and Ric Flair and all of that. There have been times where there's been lulls where the wrestling is not that great. And trust me, the fans are sitting like this, like, not excited at all. So it doesn't matter if there's a catchphrase. It doesn't matter. Like, they will not be pulled in. But right now, I mean, there's been so many times when The Rock and Stone Cold and, and all, and then now you've got uh, this new generation of wrestlers who are phenomenal. So that's what brings them in again. Yeah. I, I also wonder if it's a little bit like the nostalgia of it somehow plays. Like, I think if you took someone who'd never seen sport before and you introduced them to baseball and they watched some baseball, they'd be like, this is so boring and I'm super <laughs> not interested in this, right? And whereas you have other sports that come up that are new, that are so exciting and crazy and no one can give a crap. Right. And I think maybe wrestling has a little bit of that layered on where it's like you teach your kids or you show your kids or you, or you know you're supposed to like it or be excited by yeah. it because... It has a history and an expectation. I would absolutely 100% agree with you on that as another reason because it is one of those sports where, and you probably, you'll hear this a lot, kids that end up growing up that they'll go, oh my God, I used to watch that with my dad as yeah. a kid, right? So now you've got generations um, that are watching it, you know, and some people fall out of it and then they'll go right back later on and, or if they fall out of it and now their kid's watching it. I've heard of that too. Oh, I used to watch it. Then I didn't watch it. Then I have my child and now he's watching it. So I'm back in. So it's these things that as a family through different times of your life, you get caught yeah. in and you watch it. The other thing that I'm surprised about when you look at wrestling is it's really the largest by far mm -hmm. sort of subculture that has gone unrecognized or uh, yeah, that doesn't have the credibility of its size. Like every other industry sort of stands tall, stands proud with what they've been able to do, yet wrestling and professional wrestling and the WWE still has this strange stigma of being like an outsider's group or silly or not something that grown-ups into. It's, it's, 
strange when you look at the size of it and what they've been able to accomplish. I think why that is. Yeah, I think more and more. Thank goodness. I mean, that was definitely something for sure years back, right? And then all of a sudden, WWE started getting into different programming and and having some of the superstars in different shows mm-hmm. and. I mean, my gosh, The Rock in, in Saturday Night Live, all of a sudden it was like, whoa, yeah. what is going that, on here? But that was really about him and his character, or the John Cena, like, and less about the wrestling itself. Like, it's just like if you went out into public and met, you know, sort of regular people, like, you'd have a hard time getting, you know, grown men to be admitted they were wrestling fans or to put it on the same level as the other professional athletes and what they do and performers and actors and pretty well any other industry has yeah. more credibility in the workplace for lack of a better term i will say that that is one of the very frustrating things and whenever i'm doing an interview if somebody talks about oh well you know wrestling's fake i defend them to no end and i can do that because i mean i watch them get hurt so much and I watch them how the superstars are, I mean, they're literally getting on a plane and they're, I mean, they're oh, yeah. aching. They're aching. Yeah. They've got this and that and that. And I go, my God, wrestling is, um, yeah, they're storylines, but wrestling is not fake, yeah. you know, in that sense at all. So I wish that people would actually um, appreciate them more as athletes. And I think that a little bit more, if, if you start watching it, that's the thing is when people actually go, okay, let me watch this. That's when they get a whole new appreciation. I think the people that don't watch it at all, those are the ones that are like, eh, whatever. Yeah. It's just, and the other thing that I can't get over is like, it's still the same four-sided ring. Mm-hmm. It's still the body slams and the clotheslines and the into the rings and the jump. Like, it's the same moves, basically, they've been no. doing for years. Well, it and is And yet they, it still top. just keeps growing and bigger and... Uh, it's you just should... crazy. The show is is it, just it, works. It is. It does. And but I will say <laughs> that there's a few things. For example, if you look at some of the snowboarders mm-hmm. back in the day, yes. that were still the same pipe, right? Uh, was it called half pipe? Yeah, it's called yeah, half, half pipe. pipe. Yeah. So same uh, half pipe and all. But you look at the ones now. What they're doing now versus what some of the ones were doing ten years ago. Even my husband, he was a pro snowboarder. And he watches that and he goes, oh, my God, I would have never yeah. tried that. Never. Did I even million, million years did I think that it's something like that would be possible. Same thing with some of the wrestling moves that are going on. There, it just keeps expanding. The envelope keeps getting pushed. And the things that they keep doing and getting so creative, right? Because you've seen everything. Yeah. So they get so creative. But I, I do find that physically now they're not taking the same risks as they used to because they're not being pushed as hard. They're not allowing them to do the same sort of outrageous physical destruction of each other that they well, used to. I don't to. know about that. I don't know about that if I can agree with you on that. Because really? Absolutely. I saw... They don't was whack it, each other in Shane the head with McMahon, the chairs Well, that was, on, that was because of the concussions. Yes. But there's that's a whole different. bunch of other stuff yeah. that they were doing to each other that's... No, because if you look at a ladder match... tables and the things and oh they're, my falling, God. they're killing each other. Well, they're still doing tables. Yeah. They're still going through tables. They're still... Shane McMahon jumped off the uh, Hell in the Cell, like a, a cage match, onto the announce table. He still did Why that. Why would he do that? Because <laughs> he's crazy. He's awesome. Yeah, but, yeah that's... Because <laughs> he can and because he wants to. He loves that. That is adrenaline. Well, I, I mean, I remember when Vince first started getting in the ring 
as part of the, this new set of storylines that he had put there. And yeah. I remember thinking, like, this guy's crazy. Like, he, it's the love of it. It's the love of it. But also, it's like, it's what the storyline needed at the time. It's what yeah. the industry needed. It's what his organization needed. And every time they've been labeled to be a step ahead of those kind of things. Mm-hmm. Like, if you would have said, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take our organization and we're going to split it in two. And you guys go on Monday and we're going to go on Thursday. And we're going to fight with each other. Like, you, you're you the control of Thursday night and you're in control of Monday yep. Night Raw. And, like, you'd be like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Except for he had two of the biggest yes. TV nights in history. And now... It's crazy. SmackDown is on Tuesdays because SmackDown is live. Because right. before, SmackDown was taped. Yeah. And so uh, uh, SmackDown always suffered because people could actually find out what happened on the show. Because, oh, of course, there'd be spoilers. Right. So people could just Different log on. Now. Right. Different and then all now. of a sudden, they're like, oh, so that happened that way. I don't have to tune in. So their numbers would go down compared to Raw. But now... What's brilliant is that he's put Stephanie McMahon in charge of Monday Night Raw and so Shane funny. McMahon in, in charge of SmackDown. Yeah. And so it's the brother and sister going against each other. And then he put uh, now Kurt Angle is on Raw and Daniel Bryan SmackDown as uh, the GMs. And it works. It's brilliant. It is two really, nights in a row live. Live. Yeah. And that's the other thing, too, is that there they, doesn't have to be any spoilers. And if something happens, baby, it's live. Right. Like, it's it's not going to get all packaged nice and pretty and be perfect. And people love that. Fans love that. So, dispel some of the myth, I think. Since you deal with the fans so much, are they all sort of like redneck, middle of the country, no. kind of uneducated, beer drinking? Not at all. Right? Um, not at all. You've got a lot of lawyers that are I watching the show. You've got doctors that are watching the show. You've got nurses that are watching the show. Yeah. You got, you've got all different kinds of people that are watching the show. Some yeah. of them won't admit it because, like you said, yeah. it, it's kind of got the stigma. But, but I think more it. and more it's breaking. That's breaking away because we're appearing on so many different shows. We're appearing on, um, you know, news networks yeah. you know uh whether it's cena or the twins or anybody else that's even going on the today show and all, and it's just the, the barriers are being broken and i love that yeah and nothing's else been really able to capture it like that it's not like you go to monster truck rallies and they've been able to mimic that success like nothing's been able to do it like no. wrestling no and they just, just show no signs of slowing down absolutely not because nxt yeah. wow nxt has been that Triple H took that over and, and with Stephanie and all and just what they've been able to do at NXT. Yeah. Uh, what he's been able to do. It's, it's, this is Triple H's baby and he's just really bringing up new talent and making them already popular by the time they go up to WWE. And that was always the hardest thing to do when somebody new came around. Right. They would come into WWE and people would be like, who the hell, the hell are, are you? you? Yeah. Right? Now, they come into WWE it's like, wow! Oh my God, Finn Balor just crossed over. You know, he got like all these people that just are, they're already so huge. That's brilliant. It's amazing. Um, Melina, thank you for, for yeah. your insight. Uh, will you stick around with me? I want to have you sure. in our after the cast, get a little bit more personal, a little bit more details about you and your history. Sure. And uh, let everybody sort of get in a little bit more. So I'd love to. I'd thank love you. That. Thank you. Um, all right. So there you go, Lillian. I mean, she knows her shit. She's the absolute best. And of yeah. course, she, when you work for a company for over a decade, you got to know your shit. Yeah. 
And that gave me a lot to think about. I, I, I understand a little bit of what she's saying with the fans and how they connect with her and the, and the storylines and they feel part of it and it's just fun and, and it, it's sort of shaping a little bit of what I'm starting to understand because, again, I really want to push back the simplicity of, oh, it's cool people and it's, fun. it's like there's got to be something more. Nothing could survive like this. Right. Christian, what do you think? I think that it, the WWE manages to keep updated because of what you said. They're very aware of their fan base. They're in touch with their fan base. They know what they want. And when something isn't working, they move on to the next thing. And they're probably looking several moves down. You know, They're like, I think that people will get tired of this, so let's be ready to introduce this story before they get tired of it. Yeah, and they, they're, they're a serious organization. So I did a show called Breaking Ground with them on their network. Um, that I helped craft with them. And I got to tell you, like, I produced a lot of TV, and that was a unique experience because they had such a deep knowledge of exactly how to pace the show and what they needed from it and how they were going to position things. Things down to the actual wording of the way they describe people, things, elements was, was a fascinating study in that. So they really sort of craft what they're doing specifically. So, the, so you know, you got to give them credit for being able to do that. But... One of the things that I found sort of fascinating is they they kind of had a, uh, you know, sort of a checkered reputation for the way they treat their wrestlers themselves. It's one of those unique situations where you have an organization that's, you know, a multi-billion dollar organization and only a few of the major, major superstars become multi-mazillionaires. And it's not like the NFL or Major League Baseball or the NHL where those players are paid you know, millions of dollars, the WWE brings in more revenue than, than a lot of them. And yet the wrestlers there are paid, you know, not a lot for the kind of impact they put themselves through and the popularity and, and what they represent, which I found very strange. So really the, the physicality that the, that the wrestlers put themselves through and what they have to go through. And if you think about it, it's not like a Broadway play where behind you is the backstage. So you're only dealing with with one set of people in front of you and everything you do in the magic show is only people in front of you in wrestling. There are people on all four sides of you and you're trying not to kill the person you're with and you're trying to entertain everybody. And it's like, if you, if you look at the history of wrestling, the number of mistakes they make where you can be like, Oh my God, he totally missed him or it didn't look like a real move is infinitesimal. Like they're amazing athletes. And so I feel like people say it, but they don't really believe it or they don't give it the credit. So I knew sort of Xbox or the one, two, three kid, as I like to call him, because that's when I knew him. Um, you know, he was always one of the most physical wrestlers out there. And so I decided what would be great is if I could go spend some time with him, you know, let him show me a little bit more of the physicality that's involved and how they sort of deal with that and how that sort of has evolved in wrestling today, because he still does a lot. Thanks for coming down here today. I'm excited to sort of talk to you because I've been a fan for like, I don't know, feels like 30 years, right? It's been it's been almost 30 years. Yeah. Perhaps. You started with the WWF. I started actually several years before that. Right. How did you get? It's called just out? I was so young when I got to WWF. Yeah. Now the WWE that uh, people assume that was when I got my start. So you probably think that was my first match when I beat Razor Ramon. That right? was the first time I saw you. Yes. <laughs> Not even close, yeah. man. I had been wrestling almost six years at that point. Oh, man. Years. Okay, so take me back to this moment yeah. with Razor Ramon. Now, okay. They could have picked any wrestler out there to do this idea that it was going to be a surprise win and this was going to yeah. be your sort of moment. Why did they choose you for that? Well, it was just so different. And a lot there was a lot of things going on in wrestling at the time. It was on a 
a steep downturn, a lot of scandals. Right. You know, steroid uh, scandal, which is why I got a break. Which right. Was part of the reason. Because uh, you were a smaller guy. Yes. So yes. they wanted to celebrate a guy who made up your sure. performance-enhancing drugs. That's right. And could show, like, it's not all about muscle hands. Right. So one of the things I wanted to ask you, and I'm perplexed by, is that, like you said, you're a household name. Uh, famous as movie stars, as professional athletes in the NFL. You're working harder. You're putting your body through more stuff. But you're not a wealthy man today from wrestling. Oh, well, that's not because I didn't make a lot of money in wrestling, Brant. <laughs> <laughs> like, in your heyday, you were doing 200 days a year? No, 300. 300 days yes. a year you're wrestling. Yeah. 300 days a year. Yes. No other professional sports or anything does not anything like close. that. Not even close. <laughs> not even close, man. And all four sides, no backdrop, live audience that's everywhere it. for yeah. every single move. That's got to take a tremendous wear and tear on your body over the years. Yeah. And I noticed that you still wrestle. I, if you want to call it that, yeah. I still put on my greatest tits. Yeah. It's like a medley of your greatest tits. Right. You know, like the old you school musicians yeah. do. And then they get out. Yeah, because that's all the people want to see from me. Well, they, they might want, want to see more. I get they, want, they might want to see more, but they understand and... Appreciate. Yes, that. and I can still do my hit, my greatest tits very well. It still looks painful. It is painful, right. but you know what? It feels really good, and I've done a lot of drugs in my life, Brant, but there's no better drug than 10,000, 20,000, even an intimate room of 500 people right. making a shitload of noise and all there to see you. So how much do you have left in you in that oh. body before you're like, I'm not getting in the ring anymore? Well, I have my... I have a cervical fusion, C5, C6. That happened in 97. That's on back stuff, right? Right yeah. here. Okay, uh, and that's from neck. getting dropped on your neck. Yeah, I broke my neck twice. Uh, I have no ACL in my right knee. Pectorals torn. Oh, yeah, no pec, look at that. No pec right there. I closed on the guy. He right. was out of place. It was a gr young guy, green guy. Yeah. And I was supposed to get it fixed, and I had a tour of the UK coming up. That's... A huge chunk of my year, yearly income. Right. And so when so the doctors, like, the doctors are going, you can't do that. And, you know, you have to get that fixed. And I'm going, let me put this in terms you can understand, <laughs> yeah. Doc. Let me take away a quarter of your yearly income. And, you and then let the me couch, see what, yeah, you like yeah. yeah. And he goes, okay, we'll get you fixed up as best we can, but this is crazy. But that's what sinks into people. Got it. And so you, you close line them, you can hear it all snap. Oh, and yeah. So you have to try to like finish the match. I like, did finish the match. Yeah. I've never not finished the match. All right. Even when I tore my asshole. You tore your asshole? Yeah, I missed a move in the corner and the turnbuckle tore my asshole and I had to have it surgically repaired. Oh, so that's, is that the one where the guy's sitting there and yes. you go, ah, I'm going to jump yeah. on you and he moves or whatever. Right. And you land on the turnbuckle and the padding wasn't in the right spot or something? Pretty much. Or you didn't put your padding in the right spot? No, the... the the turnbuckle shouldn't have been exposed. So it goes right up your ass. Pretty much. Tears yeah. it all open. Yes. Bleeding, I'm assuming. It's awful, yeah. And then you're like, oh, we got to finish the match. And so do you... I didn't realize how bad it was. And my <laughs> and the, the my tights kept everything in. Right. And I didn't even realize it. It's finally sprung a leak at the after party. Because you're like, hey, this hurt, but I'm in the middle. I'm in I the knew moment. you can see me say I tore my fucking asshole. <laughs> On the camera, as soon as I Holy hit, fuck. and then some fucking guy came up and smacked me in the back of the head with like a road sign or something. Right. 
So torn asshole and then smacked in the back of the head with a road sign. So that's a bad injury. Any other looming injuries that have eh, not just, just a broken the neck? Stuff and stuff that you yet. can't see as far as trauma to the brain. Is that from getting whacked around in the ring, right? Oh, yeah. And is it because when you guys get in the ring, the adrenaline sort of takes over and you push the boundaries further and further? Uh, well, we used to do a lot of silly things before we understood as much as we do now about concussions. Right. We used to take ridiculous uh, unblocked shots to the head with steel folding chairs that people went, oh, those aren't real chairs, are they? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They're real chairs. Oh, come on. Yeah. Let me, I mean, they are heavy-duty yeah. steel chairs that I've had folded over my head. You know, somebody just... Yeah. Unloading on, on me. It's one of my best friends. Yeah. Hit me the hardest, actually. So, uh, we sh we should have realized that it probably wasn't a good idea to do that, as far as you know, how it affects our brain. But you know, we did it. And then it's the next late. day, <laughs> would you be like out for a little while, or it's like, no, you got to go wrestle again? And yeah, well, it's sometimes it's hard to tell whether that fog in your brain is from the alcohol and drugs or from the fucking shots to the head. Right. Yeah, it makes it harder to make a yeah. decision. But if if the wrestling organization, Vince himself, came down and said, ah, you know what, that looked a little rough last night, maybe you should take the night off if you want, that'd be totally cool, you would have been like, fuck no, I want out there. That's the thing. Yeah. When you ask one of us, or when you tell one of us, you know, hey, it's your call, you know, are you good to go? 100 out of 100 of us, pretty much every time, is going to say, I'm good to go, boss. Right. So now they don't do, they don't, they don't leave it up to us anymore. And do they have like a concussion protocol now like yes. the NFL does? Yes. Interesting. Yeah. So you guys kind of paved the way for that sure. with blood, sweat, and tears. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, this was like fulfilling a childhood fantasy for me. So I really appreciate you coming down and, and giving me the insight of this. It, oh, it no, really no. helped a lot. I appreciate it. Thanks. All right, boss. Um, but what I found really interesting is that he has a love for the sport. He views it as a, as a, as a, like a full-time job and, and what his sort of identity is in that sense. And you're looking at him and you're like, you're right. Like it's the same as being an actor. It's the same as being a football player or a hockey player or in any of these places. Yet it's been so sort of pushed to the side of culture and it's like ignoring millions and millions and millions of people who love this sports entertainment it's like people just ignore that, and I, I'm I'm finding that hard to sort of accept. Well, not everybody ignores it, clearly. Clearly. Yeah, clearly, I mean. But it's like if, if you look at the mainstream sort of media, the mainstream world, it does feel like wrestling has always been pushed to the side. It's like, how much more do they have to do? How much longer do they have to dominate to be finally accepted into the cool kids group? Well, there's that little asterisk always. They're yeah. very athletic, but, or they're yeah. incredible performers, however. Right. There should just be a period. And I'm, not, I'm uh, dead serious. When we talk about ratings, when we talk about shows and top ten shows and all the things, and, and when I'm, yeah, I'd probably do it myself when I'm t talking about one of my shows that's done really well and what it did for the night, we always go, oh, yeah, well, except wrestling. Like, except for Raw. Obviously, those are the number one two shows. But other than those, the real TV shows, this is where we rank because the wrestling guys outrate us all the time every day, which yeah. is crazy. So, um, ooh, my thing's ringing. Okay, this is very exciting for me. On the line right now, one of the greatest wrestlers of all time, Mankind, Mick Foley. I, I spent some time with him about 10 years ago. We did a show, and he embodies 
wrestling superstar for me. Do you remember him? Yeah, of course. Not remember, but I know who he is. Oh, man. I have learned all about him and Undertaker vs. Mankind and oh. everything, so I am very excited, too. He was effectively the first professional wrestler that used a character, I'm going to say gimmick, but I don't want to say gimmick, a, a character to overcome any of the physical shortcomings. He did not look like a wrestler. He didn't move like a wrestler. He wasn't built like a wrestler. And up until that point, every sort of major professional wrestler was a monster, either like King Kong Bundy size or Hulk Hogan pythons kind of thing. And he was the first person to use the sort of those character moves and make people fall in love with him for all the crazy stuff he was willing to do. Now, of course, the physicality of what he was willing to do was outrageous. Um, so, without further ado, let me welcome the one and only Mick Foley. There he is! Thank you, Bram. This is like my third time on Skype, so I am fighting the instinct to look at myself instead of that little pinhole. I so, think it's uh, okay. You can look at yourself. I like that. And well, by the way, you well, look good. You look great. It's been now, how long has it been since we worked together? Almost 10 years? Yes, yeah. Ten, yeah, I think ten years, yeah. So Mick and I, we we put a show together for A&E about ten years ago, and we spent a week at his place in New York there, and it was really fun. We had a blast. And uh, yeah, we put together a really good uh, reality. Show. It really was. And uh, the crazy thing was when when you and I went and uh, pitched a show, we were pitching um, like a a scripted sit, you know, kind of a sitcom. Yeah. Uh, and the guy from A&E said, I'm not interested in that. Would you be interested in doing a reality show? And at that time, the only things you had to go on as far as family reality shows were the Osbournes and I think uh, Anna Nicole Smith. Yeah. And I said, well, I don't really, uh, you know, our family doesn't really yell, uh, you know. It's true. And they said, no, that's passe. We're looking for a new type of family. And we put together what we thought was dynamite, you know. Uh, it was. Pilot. It but was great. In the end, they wanted families that yelled, yeah. and were not yet comfortable with a family that did not yell. So, we were, uh, I would say we were two years a little early, maybe three before the Duck Dynasty rush and that world. <laughs> well, why not now? It could happen again. Uh, well, I ended up doing a reality show with WWE that, yeah. uh, called Holy Foley, and uh, my daughter, when Brant was uh, working with me, was just, you know, she was 13, Dewey was 15. Um... And then she ended up being my, my, my co-star. We kind of followed her quest to become a WWE superstar. And uh, we had a we had a great time. It's pretty we cool. We enjoyed it. Uh, we're glad we did it. I don't know if it'll be a season two, but it was a really good experience. Well, now that the haircut's there, you can really see that missing ear, can't you? And, uh, I mean, a little bit, but that's fine. Good ear? Yeah. Missing ear. It's it's pretty close. Still looks good. I honestly Tough couldn't to wear tell. glasses with that bad boy. <laughs> now, Mick, so listen... The theme of the podcast today is why I'm not a professional wrestler. And the idea that it's been 30 years since the heyday of WrestleMania. And right. yet last year's WrestleMania was the biggest ever. And the WWE has maintained popularity through all the ups and downs of our culture. How on earth is that possible? I know. It's, it's crazy. I think you go back to... Um probably 85 when Mr. McMahon petitioned uh, the state of New Jersey to have wrestling <clears throat> uh, um, labeled as entertainment and not sports. He didn't, you know, not only did he not want to pay the, uh, you know, the, the, the tax that came along with sporting events, but uh, he wanted to rebrand what he did as sports entertainment. I remember being, you know, brand new in the business. I may be off by a year. Maybe it was 86, maybe 87. 
Um, but I remember, you know, being with the old school guys and they thought this is going to kill the wrestling business. And in retrospect, if we had tried to maintain, you know, the, uh, the athletic competition aspect and then UFC came along and everyone said, oh, this is what, this is what we were claiming to be, but right. this is how you do it. You can't actually, like, catapult somebody. Yeah. <laughs> you know, not a lot of Irish whipping in the, right. uh, in the, you know, in the, the UFC. combat world. Yeah. Uh, but Mr. McMahon was—he was way ahead of his time, and I think, had he not made that move, uh, wrestling would have been suffocated and been out. And they just find a way to stay one step ahead of the curve. You look at all of the things that uh, popular culture has borrowed from uh, WWE, uh, from like the low angle shot that Bill Clinton <laughs> was photo- filmed uh, arriving at the Democratic convention in like '98, like. They're taking our camera shots. Reality TV is borrowed heavily. You know, UFC is borrowed heavily. Uh, the NFL, you know, used a lot of the things that were uh, the XFL, you know, which was seen as a failure. But uh, I think in, in, upon uh, careful reconsideration, actually made some valuable uh, contributions. And WWE just finds a way to stay one step ahead of the curve. And do you attribute that to Vince himself? I think, uh, yeah, I think you'd have to. I mean, sorry, I'm just trying to get that mirror out of the shot. Um, I think (laughs) Vince (laughs) deserves, if you don't like something, uh, Vince probably deserves a lot of the blame. If you like it, he probably deserves a lot of the credit. And in the end, uh, he makes almost every decision. He's a very hands-on guy. And, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, I think he deserves a lot of the credit. Because even if other people had ideas, he's ultimately the guy who's signing off on everything. And I mean everything. I had my problems with Vince because he is a micromanager. But uh, you know, if you took that uh, aspect away from him, then uh, maybe uh, WWE isn't what it should be. And it might not be at all. Um, so let me ask you this. Uh, I know you're not much of a technology guy yourself. But as, te- as Can you tell by the fact that I'm holding up my, uh, my <laughs> iPad and don't know where to look on it? I love this guy. Um, but if you look at the last 10 years, the changes in movie technology with the special effects they have, with YouTube and all of the social media that comes on for instant gratification, with the video game consoles and the level of graphics and interaction in the video games, I'm having a hard time explaining how something that's so you know basic and simplistic, a couple of guys in a square ring in a jumpsuit, bashing each other the same way they've been doing for 30 years can maintain such popularity. Is there something else going on there? Man, I don't know. I think it goes back to the, you know, the, uh, the classic good versus evil uh, showdown. And I think in some ways, you know, and we saw that with the Academy Awards where the Academy chose to award a lot of movies that were pretty simple in nature. Um, uh, low budgets, uh, lack of special effects and, uh, I know there have been actors who've uh, stood up for us, you know, when people will uh, kind of demean what we do or the guys that do it. They're like, they're out there. Just two guys, you know, literally you talk about canvas. You either create something or you don't, you know. You provide your own sound effects, your own special effects. Uh, You know, if you want to say we do our own stunts, like uh, you're out there on your own. I mean, I had an opportunity to do, uh, you know, a one-man show, and you are in that sense you know, if you want to call it stand-up or whatever, one-man show, you're 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 more naked on that stage than you are in the ring. Because in the ring, at least you can pull off a big move if you're in trouble. But uh, 
you know, you try being the, uh, uh, you know, the the match in the fourth hour in front of a crowd in Brooklyn and underperforming. And uh, yeah. it can be a really, really lonely place <clears throat> in front of those 17,000 fans. That's amazing. And so you still get recognized. You're still a wildly popular figure. And I mean, that's years and years. How does that translate? New fans, old fans? It's crazy. Uh, I honestly thought, Brent, when I... Uh, when I retired, the last time I had short hair was 2001. Uh, but in 2000, I, uh, having had long hair the entirety of my 15-year career, uh, I did a Q&A at Hershey Park, and I traded it out for like three days at the park, you know, all you can eat. Uh, the, believe me, the park lost out on that one with the, <laughs> the Foley family. Um, and I went, as soon as I did the Q&A, I went back to my room and I shaved my head. And that was my sign to myself that I would never do anything ever in public, like for eternity. And uh, then two days later, Mr. McMahon uh, called me and he said, hey, pal, I'd like to be the commissioner. And I went, uh, okay. So uh, my banishment from public eye would, would lasted about three days. And um, But it's amazing to me that I thought, okay, one and a half, two years shelf life. And yet here I am, you know, 17 years later. And I'm amazed by the fact that uh, 50% of the people who will come to, like, my appearances are children who were not even alive when I was, uh, you know, being thrown off of high objects. Right. Because it spans generations right Wait, now. Wait, Fran, I've got an exclusive for you. Let's do I it. I thought I had to sneeze. Oh. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and so we were just talking earlier about the physical nature of wrestling. How? <laughs> Look at this guy. I love it. You notice there's still Christmas decorations <clears throat> up here, right? I did notice that. This isn't even the Christmas room either. So. Yeah, I don't know if a lot of people know that, but Mick is, they have a Christmas room. <laughs> so there it is. There it's, it is. Um, it's all Christmas all day? All Christmas, all year round. And actually, I just came back from storage uh, where I found some of my beloved uh, Annalie. They're not dolls. They're action mobility figures. I uh, just want to make that clear. Mm-hmm. So got we it. Uh, have, uh, and then look at this little guy. He's like a three foot reindeer. I just got my son. Do we see him there? Yeah. yeah. Three footer. Yeah. So we take it pretty seriously. I've actually got a Christmas memoir coming out on uh, in October um, based on my journey. Cool. <laughs> I love Christmas that. Time. Mick, how's the body holding up? Uh, honestly? Yeah. Yeah, it's barely holding up. <laughs> <laughs> It's barely holding on, Brad. Uh, it turns out that some of the things I did uh, were not good for me. Right. And uh, I, I lost a great deal of weight last year, and I got involved in swimming and DDP yoga. That helped a lot. But um, uh, next month I have a hip replacement, and apparently I should have had it 10 years ago. It's uh, it's pretty it's pretty agonizing. And, uh, you know, the knees used to be the worst part. I remember Ron Simmons asking me how my knees were, and I say, Ron, I long for the days when my knees were my biggest problem. Um, so, yeah, a lot of things are hurting, but um, the hip replacement is supposed to make a major difference, and uh, and uh, and I'm counting on it, and then I'll get back in the pool and doing my stuff and uh, try to be uh, you know healthy and happy. Do you ever get resentful because your body is in so much pain, or do you just feel like that was a choice you made, so you're fine with that decision? Yeah. Um, can I go for both of the above? Yes. Uh, <laughs> you know what? Uh, uh, 
there's a line that I use frequently. It just says, what was I thinking? Uh, and I used it I, I somehow on Sunday. I don't even remember agreeing to do a signing in Fargo, North Dakota. Uh, but I did. It took me 18 hours <laughs> to, to get there the day before um, the day before uh, Raw. And I was just like, what, are you, what were you thinking? What were you thinking? And there are times, you know, when I'm, you know, having trouble with a flight of stairs that I'll uh, use that same thought process. But I knew, I mean, I knew getting into wrestling that uh, my style was physical, <laughs> you know, more so than anyone I saw. I, I, there were a couple of guys in Japan doing things like the stuff that I wanted to do. And I knew that uh, there would be a price to pay. And uh, sometimes I'm reminded of, uh, you know, the Tom Hanks character at the end of the Green Mile where he says, Lord, the Green Mile goes on so, so, so long. Like, I wasn't counting on it hurting this much. But, uh, but other times I feel, I feel, and I think I look relatively youthful, right? Yeah, Very youthful. Definitely. Thanks. thanks. You're, Thank you're you. what, 35 now or no? <laughs> <laughs> Don't we all feel 35 some days? <laughs> Not many. Um so, Mick, so walk me through this. You're at a signing now, a, fa- a young fan that obviously couldn't have been there with you and Sako and all the crazy stuff. Yeah. What do they say? What, 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 what is your appeal to them? Is that you're a celebrity? Is it that you're, you're Mick Foley the person? Is it the character? Is it the impression? What makes them attracted to you and other wrestlers like that? Yeah, I, a lot of them have discovered me on YouTube or the WWE Network, which has been a real blessing for the uh, – you know the guys, uh, you know, who uh, kind of paved the way uh, for the current generation. And a lot of times, it's you know the parents like sitting their children down and saying, "Hey, these are the people that you know dad liked." Uh, and there's this intergenerational appeal to WWE and wrestling in general that's almost inexplicable. I know in my, you know, in the case of my family, my dad was the athletic director of our high school, and he cast a pretty long shadow and. Uh, I didn't really want to hang out with my dad too much, and the exception was uh, when wrestling came on. So, uh, and I hear that story over and over, and I never get tired of it. Like it's always amazing to me how someone will have a story about a grandfather or a parent, and a lot of times it's it is the type of case that I cited where you're not really getting along with your dad, you don't have much in common with him, but you know you like to sit down and, and watch this stuff and. Uh, there's a great there's a great saying as it applies to wrestling because you know it's not for everyone and a lot of people feel the need to put it down they say you know for those who uh you know for those who are cynical no explanation will ever be good enough and for those who like it no explanation is necessary you know it is what it is it's a kind of unique form of uh entertainment yeah and my theory is it has to be there's something to it psychological sort of the, the parameters that can keep it alive for this long. It's not just simply good entertainment or it's not just simply good stories. It's an amalgamation of everything coming together that seems to transcend almost any entertainment property in the world. Yeah. Uh, and last week um, on Monday, you know, when, when Stephanie McMahon hit me in the guys, uh, I swear I had this, you know, I had this rush afterwards like I just had a huge pay-per-view. Um, and we just felt like we had created something special out there. Uh, you know, ultimately, time tells what people choose to remember. But uh, one of the few wise things that I've ever said in my life is that, uh, you know, we get to decide for ourselves what being a success is. You know, no one else should make that determination for us. And uh, so 
So if I think that's one of the best things I've ever done, then that's you know that's my list, and I'm entitled to, to that to that belief. Um, but uh, yeah, it was it was really uh, it felt very magical out there, um, even though I was being degraded and ultimately uh, struck hard in the uh, testicle. Yeah, well, <laughs> metaphorically, we've all been there. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things you talked about is how the WWE continues to grow because Vince makes these changes and decisions and he's one step ahead. If you had to guess, what is his next step? Is there any place you think that it's going next? Oh, you want me to try to get inside that man's mind? Yes, I do. <laughs> Dangerous uh, location to take up. Um I, I'm trying to think. Uh, just the, I think the global expansion has been, uh, you know, has allowed some people to say, ah, wrestling's not what it used to be. I remember when it did, a, you know, 6.0s on Monday nights uh, against competition. But we also didn't have uh, the Internet. We didn't have, the you know, the incredible number of choices. It's, uh, you know, uh, you know, I, I've some, I'm going to, I don't know if comparison is apt, but like, you um, you, did, you didn't have a book on a cross uh, trans, you know, Atlantic flight in the old days. You were in a lot of trouble because that was the only that was the only option for entertainment. And now it's like number ten. You know, I mean, there's so many other options you have to pass your time. And when it comes to you know what a lot of people say were the glory days of wrestling, you know, there may have only been four channels at that time. Even in the days you know when wrestling was dominating on basic cable, you didn't have that vast amount of you know, amazing video games to contend with and, uh, you know, YouTube and uh, Hulu and all those things. So I think the fact that we're still doing well and doing it um, globally is uh, is amazing. Other than, you know, um, you know, American soccer, football to the rest of the world, uh, I can't think of another, you know, uh, I mean, UFC obviously is, uh, is succeeding just about anywhere it goes, but... Uh, you know, if you give um, wrestling the proper nourishment, you know, it's like a plant that will grow anywhere. You know, it, it really is. It's amazing. It's amazing to me how uh, such vast, diverse cultures embrace, you know, these guys in tights. It's been amazing. And, and Mick, when it's hurting a lot, just remember the WWE is one of the greatest entertainment properties in the history of mankind. And you are at the top of the food chain of there. So you will always be yes. remembered for that. That's a big moment. That was that was a big moment. That's yes, right. it's a, it's been really good to me, and uh, it's great. You know, just people just stop you and they, hey, thank you. You know, thank. I was going through a tough time. Thank you, especially we we'll get a lot of people talking about how the Rock and Sock connection. Oh man, uh, made them smile, and it's just that's one of the sad things to see how far that guy has fallen. Yeah, <laughs> poor, poor Dwayne. He's he's having a rough one. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the big thing in these uh, wrestling things is where guys have the reunion appearances. You know, four horsemen. These guys. Yeah. Man, uh, if I could talk Dwayne into doing a rock and sock. <laughs> oh boy. Yes, that would be a good reunion, one. Uh, we would be ruling those uh, those autograph shows. Yeah. Well, I will say. Um, I've produced pilots and shows, uh, you know, probably more than a hundred now, and the time oh. we spent together was was one of my favorites of all time. So, I really appreciate you being here with us today, Mick. It, it was great. Thanks for calling. It was. You know, can I just can I just talk about one of the great moments that you guys were able to capture on film at the house? But of course, is when I uh, I called up, <laughs> I called up and left a message as Rocky Balboa. 
And at that time, the oh, kids used that. blood as a verb, like, Rocky, did he blood him? You know, <laughs> did he blood him? You know, is, did he make him bleed? And I called him and said, hey, yo, you, this is your friend Rocky Balboa, and I want you to know I'm going to come over to the house and blood you a little bit. And uh, and next thing I know, my wife comes out and says, great, Mick, now Huey <laughs> thinks Rocky Balboa is after him. Oh, I remember Balboa. that. And I had to get on the phone, and I go, uh, you Rocky Balboa is one you know I've never heard. And all of a sudden I hear, Rocky? <laughs> it was great. And I'm saying, and I'm going, oh, you do it. Are you coming over? And I go, oh, I got to go to basketball. And I just start try, trying to run through the lines from the, uh, you know, the original movie. My son thought he was on the line with Rocky. <laughs> well, uh, it felt funny at the it time. Was, I mean, awesome. It was one of my favorite moments, too. I love that. All right, Big Mick, thank you so much for joining us. It's a All real right, honor, as always. Want to get another view for the people at home? Good With ear? One ear? Bad ear. Bad ear. Good ear? Good ear. Bad ear. Let me just show you a little magic trick I learned, okay? So get ready for this. This is the last thing we do. So I put, see, right there. Right. Hold it brilliantly. Yeah. And now. <laughs> Ta da! <laughs> All right, Ladies and gentlemen, Mick Foley. All right, thanks, boss. Oh, oh my God, I love that guy. I could have talked to him all day, or watched you talk to him all day. I know. I um, he is one of my favorites, and he, you know, he, he put it in real perspective when he just sort of said, like, the way the WWE has always stayed one step ahead. They speak to their audience. It's kind of what we've been saying all day. But he he really made me feel like, oh, I. I I get the nostalgia of it. I get it why people want to be part of it. I also love that quote. I don't remember exactly what it was, but him saying, if you like it, you don't need to explain it. Yeah, for those who are skeptical, there's no explanation will be good enough. And for those who like it, no explanation is needed. Right. And that's pretty cool. Yes. I mean, I get that. Exactly, sure. exactly. Um, all right, so we've gone around and around about the WWE. I actually... I have a little bit different perspective than I did coming in, which is good. Um, again, I think I'm, I was wrong from what I first thought. Um, so let's play a little bit of why I'm not and what I learned. So, uh, Christian, let's start with you. All what right. did you learn today? What I learned is that the more people talk about wrestling, the more you get excited and you go like, well, I feel like... I feel like I'm missing out when everybody talks about it, you know? Uh, Roxy and I work on The Tomorrow Show with our friend Kevin Undergaro. He's still a huge wrestling fan. That's how we know Sean, X-Pac, Waltman. And the more that they all talk about it, and Roxy, maybe you can speak to this a little, the more people talk about it, they get so excited. You're like, I kind of want to have that level of excitement. I want in the club. And then watching everybody talk today, I'm like, yeah, why am I not a, a WWE fan? Because I can't be a superstar at this point. Yeah. I completely feel you on that. I have major FOMO, fear of missing out. And so when I see everybody so involved, I want to be that involved. But the thing that I really picked up from this is, you know when you meet some of your favorite celebrities and they're kind of D-bags and you think, wow, good thing that they can act because I like them on screen. It's the exact opposite here. Like these people are really genuinely awesome. And I didn't get to talk to every wrestling star but I've talked to a few now and on this show and they're so genuine and, and such good people I think people can see through to people's heart and that's part of the reason that this organization does so well they, they pick the right people I agree interesting um, alright so here's the reason why I'm not a professional wrestler <laughs> aside the obvious <laughs> physical aspects of it but I have learned over the last hour 
after speaking with him and spending time with X-Pac, which was really sort of eye-opening, that what the WWE does so right is what the entertainment industry does so wrong most times is, and I, I feel I'm guilty of it, not as much now, but I used to be more guilty of it, but I'm guilty of it as well, as I feel like I know more than the general public and that we try really hard in the entertainment industry to sort of build something that's really exciting and cool that you'll like it in the general public. We put it out there and we overcook it. And what I realized is that the WWE, they're, they're, you know, the genius of it is that they don't overcook the product. They understand that people love to be entertained and if they just speak to them, you know, metaphorically, very simple terms and don't talk at them or down to them, people will respond. And it's when you look at TV and movies that, that do exceptionally well, sometimes they're just the simplest things and the easiest thing to digest. And what wrestling did really well is it took the, the good versus evil and sort of the, the way the bad guy and the good guy and the switching of the heel and all of those classic tales of storytelling and they let people just enjoy it and have fun with it and be part of it and they never tried to outthink the audience. And that's what people responded to. And I think the genius of Vince McMahon is he understands that so well. And when they say that you're one step ahead, I actually think he's right behind them. I don't think he's one step ahead. I think he's right behind what the culture is doing. And he's the only one sort of that's done it su successfully. And people are just so judgmental. Like Mick said, like they're, they're judgmental in the idea that it's not as difficult. It's not as hard. It's not as valid it's there's more critique it's not it's not as good as being an actor it's not as hard as being a, a professional athlete and the truth is it's all of those things it's combined combined and there are people that just respect the level of that in the tens of millions and so i'm going to be far more respectful of the achievements that they do on an entertainment base not just from a marketing base as i go forward they've you know it's it's it is an amazing run that they've had yeah so there we go. Um, Roxy, where can people find you? They can find me everywhere at Roxy Stryer. Oh, wow. And Christian, what about you? You can find me everywhere except Snapchat because I don't understand it. At Christian DMZ. <laughs> That's funny. I'm not on Snapchat either. I don't like it. But why, everywhere else. Why I'm not on Snapchat. Yeah. Could come up. Oh. Yeah. Who cares? Uh, no. <laughs> so I, I listen. I'm at everywhere at Bramp and Vidic and at whyimnot.com. And this has been the Why I'm Not podcast. This episode, Why I'm Not a Professional Wrestler. I'm Brad Pimvidic. Thank you very much. You've been listening to the Why I'm Not podcast with your host, Brad Pimvidic. For more on this episode, upcoming episodes, or more from our podcast guests, visit whyimnot.com and subscribe for exclusive content, giveaways, and all the latest happenings. And for even more content, visit afterbuzztv.com. I shut him down.